Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. We're about to get into God's Word and I love reading God's Word. And so whether you're joining in the room today, online or even Roland and Leanne uh, in Cork, uh, welcome to you today. And we're so excited to get around God's Word because we truly believe at Nations Church that God's Word is powerful and it can transform us and it can change us and it can lead us greater into the image of his son. So why don't you join with me in prayer today? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you that it is powerful. Thank you, God, that man's words, they don't carry wisdom. They don't carry uh, truly transformational power, but only your word does. And so, Father, as we gather around your word, we just uh, pray that it would become so, so impactful in our hearts and in our lives, that your spirit would be drawing us and leading us towards your heart, towards your heart for us this morning and your heart for the entire world. And so Holy Spirit, would you speak and would you guide this morning? And we pray these things in your son's most holy and precious name. And all of God's people said, amen. It's a good time, the child dedications. I I don't have any children, but I enjoyed that. uh, I'm I'm an uncle and I think that's, that's pretty good with me for now. I'm pretty happy with that stage. Any uncles and aunties out there? And it's a pretty good stage to be at because you get all the perks of the beautiful, cuddly baby and you spend some time with them and you're like the cool uncle, the cool auntie. And then as soon as it comes around to disciplining the child, you hand it back to the parents and like you're, you're off scot-free there. And that's a good time. Uh, my, my older sister, Jessica, who you may know as Jess and her husband, Gareth, they're campus pastors out at our Belmont campus. And she has three children. One of them is a new addition, Naraya. She's this beautiful little, just this perfect little baby, all right? She just doesn't do much, but she's perfect still, just to the way she is. And she's got the oldest, Alia. Now, Alia is, um, Alia is a sassy sort of girl, right? She's, she's seven years old. She's going on about 19, though, in terms of attitudes sometimes. Some parents can probably relate in the room with that one. I love Alia. She, she picks up everything, that you say around her, which is really bad for me because I just say things without thinking sometimes. I don't know if anyone's like that. Sorry, a few wives nudging their husbands then. That's all right. I say things, just random things all the time. And I got in the habit when, whenever Alia did something to me, just joking around, I'd be like, how dare you? And the problem is, is that she's carried that into her playground at school. So when another child takes the ball off Alia or jets on the equipment in front of Alia, she stomps her feet and says, how dare you? And so... The school principal and my sister were not impressed with me uh, when they tracked that and traced that back to me. And the middle child is Micah. Now, I love Micah. Micah's this little nugget. Like, he is, I think he's four years old, but his head is about 14 years old. He's got this massive head. He's this ball of energy. He's just one of those kids where their body develops, like, way faster than, like, the actual maturity level and the age that they are. And his love language is aggression. Like, he just loves to wrestle. He loves to get in your face. I saw him at the park the other day. I was just like, Micah, my beloved uh, nephew, it's so good to see you. He just punches me in the guts. I'm like, I love you too. Um, We'll work through this. So what did I do to you when you were younger? Something clearly bad. But I love Micah and um, I was hanging out with him the other day and I was spending some time with him, just doing the good uncle thing, right? And we were playing this game where we set up, you guys know the dominoes where you get the big track of dominoes and you flick over the last one and then they all knock over? Yeah, sweet. We're across that. Like, we're humans. We're aware of these things that exist in our world. And so I'm doing that with Alia, and it was all sweet. Like, Alia, no problem. She'll take the help. She'll take the guidance. When it came around to Micah, though, he's at the stage of life, and maybe some parents in the room can resonate with this stage of life, where they want to do everything by 
themselves, right? They're not accepting help from no one. And it doesn't matter how, I guess, much they might struggle with it. And I might put this in a bit of a nice way about Micah. He's still developing his fine motor skills, right? And so this domino activity was going to be a little bit difficult for Micah because you're supposed to set a whole lot in a line and he'd get like one there and then turn around and accidentally knock it over. So it was it was just an absolute shambles. And every time I would offer help, Micah was not having it. He was just like, I can do it. I can do it, Uncle. I can do it by myself. And I'm standing there thinking, no, you can't. (laughs) You can't deny the facts, Micah. Facts are facts. You literally can't do this. But he wasn't having any of it, but he had a good time anyway. Uh, But that thing with, I guess, we might see in Micah there, I actually see that in my life sometimes, and maybe some of you guys can resonate, is that often we want to do things by ourselves. We want to, in and of ourselves, we want to be okay. We want to have it all together. We want to make sure that we know how to do things. We want to have no flaws, no deficiencies. We want to be okay. And I think it's less of just a Micah issue. Not that I'm going to call it an issue. I think it's more an issue with humanity. Who can agree with me with that this morning? We want to be in and of ourselves okay. In fact, it's very difficult for us to admit that we don't have it all together sometimes. For us to admit that we can't do something without help, without assistance. And I think back to my journey as a disciple. And there are so many seasons, and maybe this morning, today, you can resonate with me, where I have journeyed as a disciple trying to do things by myself. Trying to do things in my own strength. Trying to do things without the assistance of God. And the issue is, is that I can try and do things like that, but my life will reflect something that is far from self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency for us as humans is self-denial, really. Because in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. In fact, the Bible teaches at great length that all of humanity is broken. All of humanity is flawed. All of humanity has faults, has weaknesses. In and of ourselves, we cannot do much. It's only by the grace of God that we can step towards the image He has for us. But we don't like that answer sometimes. Who else doesn't like that answer? And it can become a wrestle, right? It can become a wrestle. Rather than a beautiful relationship with the Holy Spirit, it can become a wrestle for control. (laughs) Whose life is this? Is it mine or is it yours, God? And we make this decision to follow Jesus. And then we, I find even in my own life, we, we struggle and we wrestle against who's actually got control. Am I self-sufficient? Can I do this by myself? But what I've actually found throughout my life is that understanding and truly knowing my need and becoming acquainted with the brokenness in my life, and we all have brokenness, has actually been such a gift for me in leading me back to reliance on the Holy Spirit. See, I've lived seasons of my life where I've denied the need. And I've been like, I'm all good. I'm a good dude. Like, you know, don't do any too many bad things, at least not that you know of. And, you know, I'm a a good sort of dude. I don't need help and assistance. But really, it's just a position of self-denial. But when we position ourselves and we truly know our need, when we're acquainted with our brokenness, it can actually lead us back to true reliance on the Holy Spirit, which was always designed by God. Now, for Jesus, this was pretty important as well. You see it in what he teaches his followers. He was far more concerned with who they were becoming rather than what they did. And for Jesus, really, true spiritual maturity was found in how well you love one another, how you love others, how you love yourself, and how you love God. And to Jesus, they were inseparable. Loving God, loving people, they were inseparable. And I've seen in my own life, the more I become acquainted with my brokenness, the more I become aware of my own need, of God, 
the more loving a person I become, the kinder a person I become, the more gracious a person I become, the more a person I become to people is when they're not at their best, I can handle that. Or when they wrong me, I can offer forgiveness as a free gift to them because I'm so more acutely aware of the fact that most of the time I don't have it together. Most of the time I'm the one who's needing to require forgiveness of, right? And we see this displayed by Jesus about this, this perspective and understanding. See, knowing our need leads us to a kingdom perspective of ourselves. And Jesus presents this in the Gospel of Luke. Join with me reading from chapter 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. And they were religious leaders at the times. They were supposed to know it all, be across all of the law, following God's commands, esteemed within Jewish community. And the other was a tax collector. Tax collectors in the ancient world in the context of the Jewish community were frowned upon. And frowned upon as putting it lightly. They were despised. Roman rule had come in and taken control over uh, the, the nation of Judah as a whole, and the Jewish people were now under control of the Romans. The tax collectors were Jewish people who then sided with the Romans to go and tax the common people, so they were not well-liked at all. The Pharisees, Pharisee stands by himself, and he prays this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Now... That's a bad day in church for the tax collector, right? Can you imagine standing here this morning and someone's next to you? God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. (laughs) They're really bad. I'd be like, all right, where's the exit door? Seriously. (laughs) He stands and he prays that prayer. He says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And by Jewish standards, that is above and beyond what was required by them, uh, much more than what was actually required by law. But the tax collector stands at a distance. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One man boasts in strength in his own righteousness, and checking all the boxes, and doing all the right things, all of these things, obeying all the rules. In fact, he goes above and beyond all of the, all of the, the law requirements, all of those things. He boasts in himself, he exalts himself, and whilst he's exalting himself, he's looking down on a brother. He's looking down on a brother. One knows his need, however, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, the brilliance in what Jesus does here is he juxtaposes two men who are both broken, but one man whose brokenness is plain to see and one man whose brokenness is hidden. But the truth is that both are equally as broken. And just like me and you today, we are all broken. We are all flawed humans living in a broken world with broken parts, with deficiencies, with flaws, with different things that we carry in life that are no other way to put it, just in broken and in need of God. But the beauty of what Jesus presents here is one is aware of their brokenness and one is not. One one accepts that they are in need and is reliant of God and one is in denial and looks to himself to be sufficient. Now we can look at this and the idea of, you know, like broken, you know, that's, that's not very uplifting. Richard came to church, it's child dedications, thought of a nice cheery message. And then you tell me we're all broken, like awesome. That's going to make me good on the drive, feel good on the drive home. My wife tells me that already. And now you're telling me, Richard, um, (sighs) nervous laughter from the front row, but actually it's a gift to us. 
See, when we actually engage with our brokenness, when we actually look at our need, it's a gift to us. Because what it does is it actually sobers us, it humbles us, and it leads us back to who? Jesus. It's actually such a gift to us that we would look and we would admit that we are in need because what's it going to make us do? It's going to seek out the only one that can meet that need. And that is in Christ and that is in a daily submission to the Spirit. It's also a gift just in how we view ourselves, where we can offer forgiveness to ourselves and kindness to ourselves. When we're not not meeting standards, right? When we're not achieving certain things or or when we're struggling in certain areas, it can offer us a, a gift in knowing our limits of our brokenness. And what a gift it can be in our relational world. You know, it's so easy to point out other people's faults and flaws. A lot easier to do that than point out your own, right? It's easy to say, wow, look at that person struggling with that. How could they still be struggling with that and not look at our own? But what a gift it can be in our relational world. And how much more would you be someone that people come to if you were to be so acquainted and aware of your own brokenness and need of God? I've got to tell people would flock to you because they would know you're a safe space. They would know that you are so aware of your own need that when someone shares something with you, that you're a safe space, not for judgment, not for condemnation, but you're there to convey the love of God to them in that space. It's a gift to us. It's actually a gift to us in our relational world and how we view ourselves. And I mentioned at the start of this message, for many years, I struggled with this and I wrestled with this self-sufficiency. And I thought I was a pretty good guy because, you know, like a Christian, you know, do the right things, go to church every Sunday, haven't killed anybody yet. Um, and uh, ooh, <laughs> nervous laughter, you're like, oh, this guy's a psycho. Uh, you know, you think you're doing all the right things. You're like, but then you realize that actually, if you think you've got everything together, you're in self-denial. You're actually denying the very real broken parts that maybe the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in. And if I've got to be honest, there would be times, and our church does this season called wholeness season, right? And it's something that we do every year, and, and well should we do, because it's a big part of what Jesus speaks on if you look at his ministry. And there were times during that season where if I'm honest, I'm sitting there going, oh, another wholeness message, like, I'm, I get it, <laughs> I'm good next like come on where's something I want a bit more meat let's get a big breakdown of the old testament or something like that but what I was doing was I was just denying that there are parts that maybe the Holy Spirit wants to do a work on and because of my pride and self-sufficiency I'm thinking I'm good I love when Pastor Ken and Chrissy share about this idea of wholeness they say this catchphrase you never graduate from it And it's this beautiful thing about Christianity. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. One day, one year, 100 years, you never graduate to this thing of wholeness where you are perfect this side of eternity. Perfection is not in your grasp this side of eternity. So if we ever think that we've got nothing to work on, if that we've got no blind spots, that we've got no brokenness in our life, that we've got no faults or flaws, then maybe you just need to ask some people next to you and they'll be telling you that maybe you do. But what a gift to us. But what a gift to us that we can engage with that. And as we're engaging with that, we're actually engaging with God. And we're allowing him to do a work in us. Not just for us, for him to take us forward to the image that he has for us, so that we can be a blessing to those around us. I've got to tell you, those years where I spent maybe not engaging with certain parts of myself, that flowed onto the people that I was around, that I was in relationship with. I wasn't a blessing with them because I was holding and carrying all these things in my life, holding them there, not sort of engaging them, not going there. But it is when we open up to these areas and allow him to work with us that we can truly be what we were intended to be, which is a blessing to those around us, to the world, our family, to those we're in relationship with. 
And what I was really doing was I was living my life exactly the same as the Pharisee. <laughs> thank you, not like, I thank you that I'm not like those guys. When in reality, the Holy Spirit was wanting to impress on my heart that there are other things. They might be not as visible. They might be hidden. It could be pride. It could be judge, a judgmental attitude or a critical attitude towards people. It could be being unapproachable. All of these different things that the Holy Spirit might be wanting to touch on. And just like me, no doubt you struggle with that as well. Because I know enough about humanity to know that we're all pretty much like the other person next to us. That we all struggle with things. We all struggle with similar things with regards to our faith. And we've got different areas in our life that I know that the Holy Spirit wants to do a good work in us. And we can kid ourselves and think our years of following Jesus as if that is somehow an indicator. The more you follow Jesus, the less you need of him. That is not true. (laughs) That is far from true. Far from true. In fact, I love how the Apostle Paul puts it. Early on in his ministry, right, you see him end these letters to various churches that he's ministering to. And this is the Apostle Paul, right? He wrote like half of the New Testament. Pretty big shot dude, right? Legend. We love Paul. Good guy. He says these things at the end of a couple... So early on in his ministry, he says this when he signs off. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. It's like, okay, you know, the apostles. It's a pretty select group. So it's pretty good still, Paul. Later on in his ministry, he says, I'm less than the least of all God's people. It's like, Paul, what happened? <laughs> You've gone down many steps here, Paul. What's going on? Like, what did you do, dude? One of his last, uh, and one of his last and later letters out to, that he writes that we have access to in our New Testament, he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. What's happening in Paul's life? I truly believe what's happening in Paul's life is a progressive humbling that happens when we journey with the Holy Spirit and we journey closer to Jesus that really takes us off any prideful position that we would sit on and brings us back to absolutely knowing that we are in need. We are in need. There's no way around it. See, when we come to Jesus and we make a decision that first time to follow him, what we're doing is we're making a statement then, I need you, God. I need you. I I know the need in my life, but then it can so easy become a wrestle where we say that and we're like, yes, I believe that I need you, God. But in the momentary decisions in our life, whether we're actually acting out that need of God comes to pass. Do we actually rely on him or do we rely solely on ourselves? And I don't know about you, but I want to be a believer like Paul doesn't think of myself highly, doesn't think I have it together, but sits myself in a position of humility knowing that I am so in need. And it's actually that perspective that keeps us grounded. Now, Jesus himself, he demonstrates the mindset of someone who was grounded in their need and someone who was not. Again, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, join with me. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says. Oh, Jesus, settle down. (laughs) Like, come on. Busting out the H word on a Sunday morning. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Jesus isn't telling us not to address things with brothers and sisters. That occurs in life. That's essential. We know that. It's necessary. But what is Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us that if we're to offer corrections and speak into other people's lives, that we have to first in our own life be committed to looking inwards, to looking inwards at ourselves, because it's so easy to call out brokenness and flaws and faults in other people. But how much would it change the relational dynamic if we were people who first look inwards? And how much more of a safe space would you be for people if we as a congregation, as a church family would first look 
inwards. Jesus is teaching a clear mindset change. He's teaching an awareness of our own brokenness and need. And the likelihood would be, if we were so much more acquainted with our need of God, and acquainted with the broken parts of ourselves, that when we were to speak correction into people's lives, it would be so much more gracious. It would come with truth 100% because truth is needed, but it would be more measured and loving. There's this really cool um, story of some believers uh, after the early church movement. We had all these different groups of believers trying to work out what it looked like to follow Jesus in their own lives. And we have the the Gospels and the New Testament paint this picture for us. And I love there's this story from some early church fathers who lived out in the desert, which is, you know, I wouldn't go to the desert, but, you know, go for your life, guys. Sure, why not? I mean, given where they lived, they didn't have too many other options. So it was desert or desert. So they probably made a decent call in the end. And there's a story that goes about some dynamics and relationships there that just, man, when every time I hear it, it just hits home for me. The story goes that there was someone in this Christian community who had broken some rules that the community had set. And the people within that community, they went along and they were holding a meeting to come and cast judgment on this brother. (sighs) Doesn't sound like the sort of community I want to be a part of. It's just like, well, you're stuffed up again, Richard. So out we go to the auditorium. Like everyone's going to stand and judge again. And so they're bringing him out and they're all going to, and so they go to the most senior member of this community. He was a guy called Moses. I've no relation to the other Moses, but anyway, that doesn't matter. He's a guy called Moses. And they go up to him and they say, look, we're going to have this meeting. This guy did the wrong thing. We need to come, discuss how it happened, cast judgment on him. And the most senior guy in the community says, no, I'm not going. And so they go back and they get back to the meeting. And the poor dude's just chilling there. It's just like, man, when is this going to be over? <laughs> like, humiliation can end already, please. And they said, no, go back. We can't start without him. Every member of this community needs to be here for this to go, to go ahead. And so they go back. And they're like, Moses, dude, bro, like, come on. We've, we've got to get this started now. And so Moses says, okay. And he goes along with them. But before he does that, he grabs a clay jar. And he fills it with water. But this clay jar had holes just at the bottom. And so he's walking along behind them and this water's just falling out of this clay jar. And the guys must have just been going like, how did this guy end up as the most senior guy in our community? Like, how did he get into leadership? This guy's insane. Like, we're in the desert, dude. Don't waste water. And so he's walking along and they finally get there. And you get to this meeting and they all wait and, and, and Moses, who was the one who was supposed to be leading and guiding it because he's the most senior member there, And he stands before them and he says, you call me here today to judge the actions of a brother. And yet my sins run out behind me and I don't even see any of them. Broken parts of my life, blind spots, areas where I'm in need and don't even know it yet. And you call me to come and judge a brother. I won't do it. Everyone, they they pretty much stop the meeting. They're just like... We might call it a day here and they're all walking off with their own leaky jugs. I love that beautiful picture that's uh, presented to us there because we've got blind spots in our lives. We've got imperfections. We've got faults. We've got flaws. And it's so easy to jump on other people's that Jesus mentioned itself. It's so easy to jump on other people's things. And sometimes it's called for in correction when truth needs to be brought. But I just know that I want to be a person who's so committed first and foremost to looking inwards first and foremost so committed to recognizing that I am broken that I am flawed because if we don't do that then what we represent is someone who is not willing to look inwards but very easy to cast judgments out and we become judgmental we become critical and we become just like the Pharisee 
I'd rather represent out of those two people, the tax collector who stands before God and says, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and I need you, God. And I know it. And it's for that reason that it's leading me back to you, leading me back to repentance and leading me back to your heart. And that's my encouragement today, that we as a people, as a church, as nation's church and the people embodying in it, we would be a people who are so committed to this wholeness journey, to so committed to looking inwards first, to looking our own faults and flaws and brokenness first and leading us back to the heart of God. And we can do this in many, many different ways, right? We can start to live more reflectively, do audits on our thoughts and our emotions and the things that go through our mind. We can ask trusted people close to us about areas that maybe we're acting out of that we're not aware of. We can do all of those things and they are amazing and very good practice to do. But at the end of the day, none of it will mean anything if we don't first yield to the Holy Spirit. And this is not a once-off moment. It's a moment-by-moment decision. I used to think following Jesus was a decision I made once until I realized it's a decision I have to make again every single moment, whether I'm going to partner with Him and give Him the reins of my life or whether I'm going to wrestle back control in my life. And we're human and part of that brokenness is we'll always be trying to gain a little bit back in here and sometimes it'll be easy and sometimes it'll be difficult. But at the end of the day, the invitation is still the same. I love the lyrics of the song we sang earlier today. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is found here. Jesus Christ and that same invitation is not only present at salvation but it's present every single day for us to engage with what he has already done and what he wants to do in us afresh thanks for listening to the nation's church podcast for more info please visit nationschurch.com